Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy WASD Day. My name is Nicole Thomas, VP of Information Services here at McKinney Flavelle. And today is Thursday, November 9th, 2023. And welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. Uh, and today, of course, since it's a WASD day, I have my WASD action team with me. That's Kevin Combs, uh, Vice President of McKinney Flavelle, and Eric Thornton, our commodity specialist here. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Eric. Hello, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. So, you know, just a few little subtle changes in the WASD today. Nothing too big, but uh, we'll dig. <laughs> we'll dig into that. I'm, of course, being a bit sarcastic here. Uh, but we'll dig into that uh, in a moment. But real quick, I want to remind everyone who's not a subscriber to check out our IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform, where we provide access to daily market updates and information designed to help ingredient buyers meet their purchasing goals. You can visit McKinney Flavelle's website to learn more. That's M-C-K-E-A-N-Y hyphen F-L-A-V-E-L-L.com. And I also uh, want to remind our listeners of our upcoming energy markets webinar. That's going to be next Wednesday, November 15th. We do those at two o'clock Eastern standard time, 11 uh, Pacific standard. And you can register for that at the McKinneyFlavelle.com website as well. So now that we got our shameless promotion out of the way, let's get on to the podcast. And you know what? Let's shake it up a little bit today. Eric, I think we're going to start with you and what happened with the wheat balance sheet, sir. Ready to go? Perfect. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's let's uh, roll up our sleeves and get into it here. I have to say, finally, finally, the USDA <laughs> made some changes that I've been calling for for many, many months now. Yes, you uh, have. I'm talking about the global wheat balance sheet specific to production, specific to two main producing regions, Russia and India. I've said uh, for since oh, actually going back to the June report regarding India, when USDA raised their crop from 110 to 113.5 million metric tons, that that was a very questionable move. Not sure why you know they, they went higher when all the reports are the spring and summer was India's you know monsoonal and, and weather scenario was was variable to say the least and nowhere near you know, record crop production for wheat. So what they do today, they finally brought it back lower down to 110.5 million metric tons. So where it was in June, I could even argue that's still maybe a little bit too high, but nonetheless, at least they moved uh, and got a little more accurate and, and down to that uh, level. Same thing on the Russian side where they've been probably the lowest estimate sitting there at 85 million metric tons for a couple months. And they finally got with it today raising their production up 5 million metric tons to now 90 million metric tons. Again, like India, I think you could argue there might be an additional 1 to 3 million metric tons of uh, more increase there to production. So we'll see if that takes place over time. But nonetheless, um, you know, kind of some offsetting changes there. So all in all, really production changes were, were in line outside of Russia uh, and India. Um, total production now is down 
just 1.5 million metric tons at 782 million metric tons. That's right in line where we were two years ago, uh, but down versus last year in terms of production. So even with those changes and quite a, a number of them for production, ending stocks uh, stayed the same, still low uh, and sitting there at 258.6 million metric tons, uh, still the lowest we've seen since 2015-16. And you know, really just uh, keeping things a little short and sweet on the U.S., balance sheet. Only two changes to note, but again, at least they were in a favorable direction uh, in terms of the eyes of a buyer with uh, building supplies and growing stocks. We saw that food demand was cut 4 million bushels to 970 million bushels. That ends a uh, two-year increase for that demand category, if that holds true. And uh, not surprising as it, uh, it appeared the Q3 flower demand numbers that came out at the end of uh, September were some of the lowest we've seen going all the way back to 2014. So the adjustment there, definitely justifiable. Interestingly, though, U.S. imports did rise another 10 million bushels. That target now stands at 145 million bushels. If, if that holds, that would be the largest import number we've seen on wheat since 2017, 2018. So again, a little bit of a better story there as stocks grow up to now 684 million bushels. So I think that's really all I had. I'll kind of keep it relatively short there today for, for wheat, Nicole. Hey, well, you get you get kudos for seeing this coming long before USDA did, apparently. <laughs> hey, we'll take it while, uh, you know, while we're reasonably confident on certain things, right? Right, exactly. No surprises to this, this month, at least. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what was a bit of a surprise. The corn yield number yes. for the yes, domestic market. Now, heh, I don't, well, I, I guess I can't say nobody saw that coming because there may have been a few private forecasters that were suggesting that yield may be a little higher. But we got some confirmation uh, via uh, USDA today, at least uh, as, as gathered off of what they're seeing with uh, harvest uh, progressing pretty well at this point. So that took the yield up two bushels per acre, 174.9, uh, which basically added about 170 million bushels to uh, production. Great. Interestingly, though, most of that was gobbled up via uh, higher demand uh, for each of the categories. I think probably the one that is most interesting at this stage, well, maybe a couple. Number one, we saw a slight increase to that food, seed, and industrial category. That really being pushed higher by a little stronger ethanol consumption than what was previously discussed, about 25 million bushels there. Feed and residual was taken up by another 50 million bushels. That one's going to be interesting, too, because we have been following quite a bit in the way of uh, new cases of avian flu. And we've unfortunately seen it uh, a little bit in the the egg laying segment, and or arguably a lot in the egg laying segment in the northern up, uh, upper Midwest, uh, as well as some broiler operations uh, of late uh, have been impacted by that as well. So we'll see how that pans out down the road. But that last category, exports, you know, the the especially the way this this marketing year sort of started. And the issues uh, on the Mississippi River and, you know, just the price of corn out of the Gulf, 
may have suggested that that number was indeed going uh, to to head south. But actually, things have been uh, reasonably uh, strong. And at this stage, USDA took that number up by 50 million bushels to uh, 2.075. And I'll say this, as far as the export pace is is concerned uh, so far, we are kind of trending ahead of last year by about 30%. With PNW prices getting more competitive uh, with Brazil, particularly as Brazil continues to deal with some of its own issues in the northern portion of the of the country with a pretty extensive drought. But at the end of the day, mm, for the balance sheet, didn't have too much impact. I mean, we're still looking at uh, more than 2.1 billion bushels of ending stocks. Uh, so as it as it continues to stand, the market uh, appears to be uh, shaping up for something a bit bearish. We definitely saw that in the futures reaction today. I will say that uh, one other thing, though, from a global standpoint, ending stocks were raised 3 million tons, and that was a result of upward revision to uh, U.S. production, Russian production, and Ukrainian uh, production, each of which were, were uh, increased from the last month's report. But USDA didn't change uh, Argentina or Brazil's production. Argentina, we're probably still in a in a good spot to uh, see that number uh, come in around what what they're expecting. But Brazil is still remains to be seen. Uh, ultimately, we're getting more rain in the forecast of late, which is good. The question is um, with. Roughly 66% of the corn crop planted at this stage are are they going to need to do any more any replanting? Number one and number two, because now we're you know we're kind of falling behind in terms of pace. Uh, whether or not that's going to be impactful to the safrina crop in 23-24, and as we've seen in in the few years of late, uh, if that crop gets put into the ground a little later, it can impact yields. But at least at this point. I think we're still looking at a pretty good global corn supply scenario uh, that should, if nothing else, limit the potential rise of corn futures for the foreseeable future. Just watch that weather and the market's reaction to it closely over the coming weeks for you know possible indication that there, there may be a little more support for those prices down the road. Uh, so... On the corn side of things, pretty good. For soybeans, we also were gifted a bit of an increase to yield. Uh, maybe not as dramatic, I guess if you put it on percentage term, terms, uh, kind of similar to corn. But that yield is now uh, put at 49.9 bushels per acre for the U.S., just under 50 bushels per acre. And the impact there was about a 25-ish million increase to production. USDA left the supply, or excuse me, the demand side unchanged there for now. So all of that increase in production went to ending stocks, now pegged at 245 million bushels. And the question for soybean, kind of the the opposite of that for, for corn, is might we see the exports or the export category for soy uh, revise lower because we are actually trending behind last year's pace when it comes to soy of about 26%. But before you get too excited about that, we did just get word of a big Chinese purchase of uh, U.S. soybeans uh, just today, as a matter of fact. 
And if you kind of do the conversions there, it looks like it's somewhere around 36, 37 million bushels purchased today. So we'll want to continue to monitor that. But for now, again, gave a little, put a little pressure on bean futures. Uh, still, you know, hanging out in those mid to high 13s, but a little, a little better than, than what it was just yesterday. And then from a global perspective, uh, similar to corn, USDA left most, most of the production figures unchanged, but did lower beginning stocks for 23-24. And that pressured uh, ending stocks for 23-24 just a bit, now at about 114.5 million tons. And at the end of the day, uh, still projecting a 15% year-over-year increase to ending stocks uh, globally. So again, something to to watch as it relates to the weather in South America, uh, because we have heard a lot of uh, speculation that some of those beans, early planted beans in Brazil will have to be replanted. So keep an eye on that number uh, as the months progress. And then lastly, (laughs) lastly, there's soybean oil. Now, fortunately, if you're a regular listener of ours or you're tortured with my commentary via webinars or or monthly calls or whatever the case may be uh, on a fairly regular basis, you at least kind of saw this coming. We have seen a tremendous amount of strength in uh, soybean oil usage in in the biofuel uh, category. And accordingly, USDA did raise that number for the last marketing year for 22-23. Now that sits at 12.4 billion pounds. That would be a 20% year-over-year increase for this marketing year we just wrapped up uh, relative to 21-22. And we still have about a month's worth of data on the biofuel side of things just to firm that number up. But I think... We're pretty, we're pretty close there, considering we've been averaging somewhere about a, a, a billion pounds of usage on a monthly basis, maybe a little over that. So the end result of that, again, as we've talked about in the past, lowered that carry-in for 23-24. No changes made to consumption just yet, and just that reduction in carry-in took the ending stocks projection all the way down to 1.577 billion pounds for 23-24. And when you look at the demand projections as they stand today, it's hard to find a place where we're going to get a break there. Now, the remaining hope, I guess, for potential increase to ending stocks domestically, we either have to see a boost in imports, which is definitely a possibility, or get it via a higher yield. And it's worth mentioning that the 22-23 marketing year, our average yield was about 11.86 pounds per bushel for the projections uh, for 23-24. USDA is currently using 11.75 pounds per bushel. So we may pick up a little bit there. But I think the big takeaway here is as we've been talking about, Prices, soybean soybean oil futures where they are now is good territory. And frankly, it's not the fundamental scenario that's pressuring those prices. And also want folks to keep in mind, you know, we always say high prices cure high prices. Well, low prices are also uh, often referred to as fertilizer. 
And with these prices as weak as they are, that definitely sets up the possibility that this consumption is going to stay strong, uh, especially considering where we've been uh, in terms of prices thus far this year. And, and the outcome we had with biofuel consumption was still pretty strong. So I would say that wraps it up for corn and the soy complex. Kevin, what you got for sugar? Oh, man, headaches. That's what I got for sugar. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's uh just you know it's shaping up to be a crazy year and that's a crazy year when i say we have a record beet crop on the forecast now wow and yet i'm still talking about crazy supply scenarios and what could take <laughs> place and you know we're sitting there with the stocks to use ratio now at only 12.4 percent for uh mm. this year uh. so uh it's Amazing. We, you know, Louisiana production seems to be rebounding. USDA raised their estimate for Louisiana this month. So we got over a uh, 260,000 ton increase to production, but, wow. but <laughs> a few offsets. <laughs> we ended up lowering beginning stocks, 102,000 tons as the USDA is really finalizing their 22, 23 numbers. And when they look to that demand category, they say, oh, we got some other demand here and there that's non-food use deliveries. Uh, that's 138,000 tons that had not previously been accounted for. So total use of sugar was up drastically, cutting the uh, the ending stocks figure there. And then also reducing uh, supply outlook for 23-24 was imports. As we know, Mexico's having a horrendous crop from drought. And uh, USDA cut their forecast another 245,000 tons, so down to 5.33 million metric tons, which is still probably a little bit on the high side. Mexico hasn't issued their first uh, official estimate yet, but when you talk to people down in Mexico and the trade, you know we've heard numbers under 5 million metric tons, up to about the USDA forecast on the high side at 5.33. So you know just. I would say an average estimate is more like 5.2 million metric tons down there. So uh, they may not even have that much sugar. And uh, wow. of course, yeah, the USDA recognizing that is, you know, putting up much higher imports for Mexico. They ended up uh, 285,000 tons for last year. And now this year they're suggesting Mexico may need to import 434,000 tons. Woo. Yeah. Yes, which is interesting because they still show, you know, Mexico importing most of their quota. They lowered them 85,000 uh, short tons raw value this month. Uh, again, if that production ends up smaller, who knows, they may go lower there. So uh, there's got to be some work done there to figure out how all that's going to be. And, of course, the Department of Commerce was looking into Mexico and imports coming in, enabling them to export and whether that, you know, violates the suspension agreement. I think it definitely does, but what are they going to do about it when we're an importer and we need sugar? So I don't know if there's any, uh, mm. anything's going to come down out of that. That could come any time now, but then just to make matters a little bit, uh, more frightening, uh-oh, USDA lowered TRQ imports 160,000 tons because one of our big quota holders, the Philippines, who often has trouble producing enough sugar to meet their whole quota, has stated that they're not going to have sugar to meet their quota at all and will not be exporting any sugar this year. Oh, no, not, not oh. again. <laughs> again. <laughs> so, <Deja yes>. <laughs> so when you look at it, uh, the USDA did counter some of that loss of imports by raising high tier imports 100,000 tons up to 275, which they reached 455,000 tons last year. 
and 390,000 tons the year before. So clearly uh, they're allowing the market to do the work for them, which, you know, from a user's perspective, that just tells you high tier imports are 16 cents per pound for refined sugar, a little over 15 cents per pound for raw sugar. So, you know, that's obviously uh, comes at a cost and uh, is supporting refined prices at current levels. So uh, not what people want to hear. And what was really interesting, if you read the comments at the front of the WASD report, the USDA made a, a pretty strong statement about high-tier imports in that it says the USDA now recognizes that high-tier tariff raw imports are an important source to meet raw sugar requirements under current market conditions. <laughs> Say something without saying something. <laughs> Say something without saying something. I think they said it. They quite said it clearly. Quite clearly, <laughs> clearly that uh, it is a fact. And, you know, hey, there may be people enjoying collecting those revenues from the sugar program, too. Not that it matters too much when, you know, you only talk about hundreds of millions. And today, you know, it seems like until you start talking trillions, you don't mean much anymore. Right. Crazy numbers for sugar. Clearly, there's going to be a lot of work to do. But with that statement, it sounds like the USDA is saying, hey, we're going to let the market work. We're not going to go to the Department of Commerce and ask for an increase in TRQ imports anytime soon, which means they'll do as they usually do. They'll get to uh, April. They'll look at reallocating shortfalls to the TRQ, thus the Philippines, and mm -hmm. then uh, any other countries, obviously. And uh, you know, then they'll look at saying, hey, do we need to do a TRQ increase? But in the meantime, hey, Pay tier two duties. We enjoy that revenue. <laughs> Kevin, you're becoming the Grim Reaper, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, exactly. we passed this on to you, sir. Pretty much. But, you know, hey, it's sugar. It's uh, it's an interesting uh, year. And like I said, when you look at what's going on here, despite record production on the beat side, Crazy. it looks like, uh, you know, high prices are uh, going to be around for a little bit longer as this uh, gets managed over the course of the year. Well, like we always like to say, we may not tell you what you want to hear, but we'll tell you what you need to hear. You need to hear. Mm -hmm. And yeah, with the world market at 27, 28 cents the last uh, few weeks, you know, that's not a good thing either. Yeah, exactly. Which is up five or six cents from where we were in uh, February, March of last year when we were negotiating. Wow. Hey, well, at least yeah. Thanksgiving's around the corner. Okay. Full of good news. You get, yeah. you know, you get some time off, you get some time with your family. Hopefully you get in your, all your negotiations done and, you know, you get to relax a little bit, watch some football and just keep your fingers crossed for a better future. <laughs> that's, that's all the optimism I have today. I'm hey, sorry. Hey, we got a ton of optimism out here. The Raiders are back. We yeah. got rid of our yeah. coach. We got rid of our GM and we win. We almost destroyed the New York Giants. Oh, they're not very good. Oh, you definitely destroyed them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can't really brag about that, buddy. You know, it's like, oh, we, we beat up on the Giants. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's just kind the of Bills didn't beat up on the Giants. They almost lost. So, <laughs> hey, you take that. Hey, as a Steelers fan, I'm just glad for any win, okay? I, I'm not even picky these days. Yeah, somehow it. you guys are getting wins, too, and who ugly, knows what ugly. your offense is. We play ugly, but we get <laughs> yeah. it done. That's the Tomlin effect. The Tomlin effect, the Tomlin exactly. Effect. Just get win. Just, just win, baby. Oh, that's just the Raiders win. again. Damn. <laughs> the standard is the standard. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, on that lovely note, 
for everyone listening. That wraps up our weekly hot commodity podcast. Hey, and not to be forgotten, I want to give a salute uh, to all the veterans and active duty military personnel ahead of Veterans Day tomorrow. We thank you for your service. And McKinney won't be in the office tomorrow. <laughs> we, thank, <laughs> we thank everybody for the service. Definitely. And as Mike always says on that note as well, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care, everyone. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favell's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.